Blog Talk Radio. To the Bottom Line Show Live. I'm your show host, Dame Lillianne Walker, and imagine being abandoned as a baby and then being returned like a pair of jeans that don't fit, but having that happen not once, not twice, but over half a dozen times before the age of 10. Can you imagine what that would feel like? Do you think maybe you'd feel a little rejected, destined for failure? feel like perhaps you got a raw deal? Imagine climbing your way out of that kind of a hole. What kind of start is that? Well, the young man that we are going to feature on our show today is Manny Lopez, and he's overcome that and much more. He is the father of three, and he has managed to single-handedly discover the secrets to success in a way that you can too. He is currently a paid consultant on lead generation to over 800 brands worldwide, including celebrities, entertainers, entrepreneurs, best-selling authors. He has clients like Kevin Harrington, who's an investor on Shark Tank, Les Brown, a number one motivational speaker throughout the world, Sharon Lecter, author of many of the Napoleon Hill books and the Rich Dad, uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad book series, and many, many others. So welcome with open arms today, my guest, my friend, Manny Lopez. Manny, thank you for joining us on the Bottom Line Show Live today. Thank you for having me, Lillian. I'm glad to be here. Well, Manny, before we dive in deep, um, I would love for our, our audience to get to know you a little bit better and find out a little bit uh, like where where exactly were you born? We're, we, we know that you have this incredible story that I heard uh, when I first met you, and I'm eager to share that with the world. So tell us, you know, where were you born, and tell us how you got started. Sure. So I was born in Riverside, California. Um, it's now a Lowe's, the hospital that I was born at, which is uh, kind of the reason why it was pretty difficult for me to find uh, a lot of information about my birth. Um, I grew up in the foster care for a few years after being orphaned at 18 months, abandoned in a car with my sister. Uh, we were adopted and returned seven different times. And uh, with the eight family, we stayed and, uh, you know, blessings. And we had a very unique, you know, growing up period of, you know, trying to just make ends meet on a monthly basis. Uh, moved many times, you know, moved 10 different times by the time I was 18 and uh, I think 10 different times since then. So uh, it's a lot of moving around, but it's all all been around Southern California. I didn't really get much farther out from there. Wow. And so uh, I, I can't begin, you know, what is your first recollection of being returned by a family? I, I, I would imagine that you must have had a sense that either things weren't right or you didn't feel good or, you know, what was that experience like? What were you feeling as a child and how young do you remember having those emotions and those thoughts? 
Well, I don't really remember too much um, from those those period of that period of my life. I do remember a couple of uh, really fond memories. One, I was probably somewhere between two to three years old. Um, my foster parents at the time were by the name of Bob and Shirley, and Bob was the heavyset man, and he was sitting on a brown recliner. Um, watching TV, had his feet up on an ottoman or something like that, had a beer in his hand, and I remember him calling me over to him and asking me to come, you know, come here and play. And um, I went over there, and he actually ended up giving me his beer bottle and had me drink it. And I remember that because I was choking on it, um, and he was laughing. And it was a very, very strong memory that I, I... don't forget to this day. And another one was when my foster parents, same ones, had actually had sold my bed. Um, And I remember that night sleeping on the floor because a bug had crawled into one of my ears and it just really stuck with me that night as well. So that's really the only two things that I remember that would be, I would say, negative. I do have one good positive memory from them, which was um, Mm -hmm. there was another girl that was in our uh, foster home uh, as me, my sister, and this other girl, and we were sitting on uh, bar stools. They had bar stools as um, kind of like the kitchen area. And that's where, we, I guess, we had, had our lunches and, and meals and things like that. And I remember one time actually getting a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I was just so, so excited that I actually got to sit on the bar stools. I, you know, we weren't really allowed to sit on those. And I was just kept spinning and spinning and spinning um, on the bar stools. And I don't know if I ended up getting sick or not, but... I definitely remember those. Those are the three things I remember. Other than that, you know, everything memory-wise started with the last family. Uh, I literally remember the day I walked into uh, their home for the first time. Wow. So it sounds to me like you blocked out any of the negative, a lot of the negative, bad-feeling stuff, and you focused more uh, uh, on the positive aspects. So, so let's go to that to when you were. Um, brought in by the eighth family, which is a family that eventually, you know, kept you and uh, raised you. So what was that like, and how did you go from there to uh, your first, we're going to call it your first big break? Sure. So we were adopted by a family that was told they would not have kids. And um, the holy grail of adoption is to have a brother and sister that are pretty close to the same age. So they always kept us together, which is definitely a a blessing that I am very thankful for. And we were adopted. I was um, three and a half. My sister was four and a half. And, you know, we were a very hard um, collection of, uh, of kids to deal with. So it was very difficult. There was a lot of times where my sister had lit the couch on fire. We had put oatmeal in the VCR. We had, you know, blown up a microwave. I mean, it was just crazy oh, wow. the things I would do and my sister would do. Uh, so it was a lot of chaos growing up. Um, the, my mother ended up getting pregnant uh, a couple years after having us um, and kind of had that miracle baby thing, my uh, my younger sister. So things kind of, I would say, a little bit changed from that point where, you know, a lot of the focus is on the younger child. And, of course, that's just normal. Mm-hmm. I have three kids myself, so I definitely understand that, you know, the baby is definitely going to be the the baby of the family. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, growing up was a lot of 
me being around <clears throat> two sisters, no brothers, but a lot of cousins and family. So that always kept me busy and kept me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so, so do you remember? Uh, it, obviously, there was a difference between the safe family and all the previous ones. You know, the number one. You know, in marketing, we would call the unique selling proposition that they had is that they had no kids compared to you know the previous families, right? Um, but obviously, it was a much better environment than anything that you had had before. Um, I would say so. Yes, and, you know, um, you know, to a point where, you know, with every family, there's ups and downs, and there's you know, drama and and the things that could go wrong and things that have gone wrong. And but for me, I've always looked at my life experience as you know, blessings in disguise no matter what I'm going through. Because the life that I went through is a way for me to look at life and understand that everything happens for a reason. Now, the downs and and ups that I've been through in life have taught me things, every single one of them. And every single time I've gone through a new experience, I can now go into a new experience with more knowledge. And it's going to help me make better decisions. And that's all life is. It's a big collection of life decisions. So at, at what point you must have had, um, I would imagine, that you would have uh, probably either in junior high or high school at some point come, come to a place where you aspired and dreamed, you know, for a better life, to make, you know, um, to make your way in this world and do something different. You know, you, you could have, there's a road less traveled, and then there's the the road of the world where, you know, sometimes the dark and the negative side tries to show you uh, how to make an easy buck, and, uh, you know, and some kids get lost in that uh, terrible predicament. But obviously there was a choice that you made at some point. So when was that? Was that when you were in junior high and high school? Was it afterwards? What, What was your journey like? Well, in high school, it was definitely a big area of being lost. I had no idea what I was going to do after college or after high school. I knew it wasn't college, even though I had a scholarship. Um, I had gotten straight A's in, in uh, sophomore year, got student of the month, all these awards and scholarships and stuff. Um, it was really to prove a point to my mom that I could actually get straight A's. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of people in my circle telling me no over and over again, and um, I wanted to prove someone wrong, and I did. And but I found out really early on that schooling was just not for me. It's not the way I wanted to learn. Um, I just didn't see the value of learning things that I know I wouldn't apply in real life. And mm-hmm. so I knew I wanted to do something different. I just didn't know what it was. Um, I joined the Navy after high school. That lasted about six months, and that's all in, in the, you know broken down in my uh, upcoming book, The Hustle Code. So you can catch that uh, very soon, the next couple months. Um, where I share my entire story, and it really just goes in depth on exactly you know what I went through mentally to get where I'm at. But it really didn't change for me until I found my first mentor, and that was around 21. Um, I had left high school, I jumped around a bunch of sales jobs, and just really tried to make ends meet. I started my family at 19. I had my first son then. Oh, wow. Um, and um, so I had to grow up very quickly. I didn't have the opportunity to just uh, hang around the house and do nothing. <laughs> I had mouths to feed very quickly. And so for me, it was just finding a way to make money with the skills that I had, which was not really much other than what I could learn on the go. Um, my first job was a janitor at a high school. Second job was 
um, McDonald's for a couple years, and then I went to the Navy straight from there. So not a lot of, um, you know, skills to grow from. But, you know, a lot of, for me, it was trial and error. So I started doing different sales jobs and learning, you know, marketing and advertising and lead generation, and then started doing car sales and just got to a point where it was like, man, I need to do something where I'm of real worth, of real value. And Mm -hmm. this was shortly after my first son was born, I was like, all right, I need to do something where I'm actually in a real corporate job or, you know, kind of go the corporate ladder route, everyone around me, you know, that's how they tell, they tell you, go, go get a real job, get, you know, stable, you got a family support, you know, stop hopping around a job to job. And so that's what I did. I found this uh, company and that's actually where I found my first mentor. And he was my manager at the time and just instilled in me this idea of being too blessed to be stressed, to where anything you can look at in the world um, can be a blessing if you really understand it and you really look at what you'll learn from it. Because everything in life is either a blessing or a lesson. And if you look at it that way, you'll never be really um, in a negative light. It's just not possible. So so he was the one then who started to bring – well, it sounds like you were already more positively minded, open, despite the adversity that you had been through. It sounds like you were a little more predisposed in that regard. Wouldn't you agree? I would say so. I'm, I'm a sponge for knowledge. You know, I, I want to learn mm-hmm. things I don't know. Um, even if it's something I don't necessarily agree with, I want to understand why I don't agree with it. And for me, it's, you know, there's there's things that – I come across that I'll look at, and before I had my first mentor, it was just, why me? Why me? You know, why is this happening to me? Why is everything negative happening? Why do I keep getting, you know, kicked when I'm down? And at that point in my life, it was just all focus of being selfish and not really understanding how to serve or give. And once my mentor, you know, just kept working with me and and showing me that I have whatever you know, possibilities I want to create, I can go and pursue them and I can achieve them. I just have to put my mind to it and trust that there's a higher power around me that's, you know, guiding me in the right direction. And uh, he's a pastor at a church um, and he's been a pastor since I met him. Um, and he's just been a great guy to, you know, see what's in front of me and how to really understand how to bring value to it. And I think that's been a real powerful thing. And if you don't have a mentor, get one. Because a mentor is something that is really needed in everyone's life. You need to have somebody who's been there who can understand what you're going through, make sense of it, and show you how to get to the other side. Well, and I'm so glad that you're saying that, the way you're saying that, because that is one of the golden threads of uh, success that I see routinely with a lot of our guests, you know, all of the guests that we've had on our show and as you know, many of our guests um, have been on the Oprah show. And uh, the the true keys to success are in what you just said a moment ago. Um, you mentioned that your, in your particular case, your mentor happened to be not only your sales manager, but he was also a pastor. And so he revealed to you of that dimension that can't be seen, which is your your uh, connection and relationship with your creator. And uh one one of the you know the primary reason why we're on this phone on this phone call on this in the studio for the show is to share the bottom line secrets to success but not just your pedantic abc's but 
reveal you know the the most powerful side and the most powerful force of those secrets which is really your spiritual connection with with God and how you've allowed because I believe that oftentimes we don't allow we get in our own way and luckily you had somebody who was able to shepherd you and mentor and coach you and you know gently bring you along and have you realize it's like wait a minute there's more than can be seen with the naked eye so let's talk a little bit about about that experience you know i'm sure that must have been uh, it, there there is either a gradual awakening or uh, all of a sudden you had this awareness that it's like oh wait a minute there's there's something to what this guy is telling me you know how, how what was your approach how did you react as you started to come into contact with this well for me it was just being very open about it um i didn't necessarily trust it too much just because you know i have a very logical look at things i'm very analytical and so for me it's like i have to see it to believe it (laughs) and you know for me it was just you know getting that instilled confidence that look manny you don't have to see it to believe you just have to feel it and understand it that it's there and utilize it to bring value to the people around you and make sure you're doing it in a kind-hearted way you can't just go out there and think that it's all about making money and, and being successful and that's what creates wealth and success for me it's you know that that'll just be a tool wealth is a tool to help others And for me, Mm -hmm. you know, learning that very early was super beneficial. Some people I come across, they're in their 50s and their 60s, and they're just now getting it, and they spend 30, 40 years in a job they hate, doing something they don't love, just to make ends meet and, you know, at one point down the road in the long, long future have a pension that they can retire and enjoy martinis on a beach with their wife, you know, Mm -hmm. when they retire. I want to be able to have that influence at 30. You know, I turn 30 in just three Mm -hmm. days. And for me, I want to be able to change the world before I get to, you know, my gray hairs. You know, I have gray hairs now because Mm -hmm. I choose to, (laughs) not because I have to. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's all about being of real influence and value to find something you love to do, turn that into your life's work, teach other people how to do it because there's so many people that will want to learn. And they want to have value, too, and they're all stuck at a nine-to-five job or doing something they don't love to do just because it's what pays the bills. Mm -hmm. And if you can understand how to bring real value and real change and deliver it in a way that people can actually see it, now you can change the world. So let me ask you, did you ever hit a place as you, you know, once you were being coached by your mentor and you were moving forward in this, you know, you were – as, and you continue now. I understand this is this is not something that that stops. This is you know if we're not growing, you know we're we're dying. So uh, as you progressed and you started to be aware and started to adopt and incorporate and apply the concepts and the knowledge that you learned from your mentor, did you have you know times where you hit rock bottom again and you realized and you were able to maybe uh, rebound faster out of there because now you had this awareness? Oh, yes, big time. It, and it happens constantly. Give us, um, anytime give us a good I example. Have, yes, for example, um, when, I, when I left the company, okay, so I was at mm-hmm. that company with my mentor for two years. 
And I did mm-hmm. everything they said to do. I came in early. I stayed late. I came in on the weekends. Mm-hmm. I mean, I put 70, 80 hours a week into this company every single week for two years. I broke every company record they had. They, they would have meetings wow. every day saying, number one on the board is the one who gets promoted, and, you know, they'll have a team they could manage. They're able to, you know, train others. They're a management in the company, and that leads to other higher positions. And that's just the way we were taught in school, right? Go up the corporate ladder, do everything that the upper-level management says to do, and you can work your way up. And maybe one day mm-hmm. you can be at a vice president or something of a company, right? And so that was my small mindset. My mentor instilled in me that, look, Manny, you don't have to be the corporate ladder going up this. You could be the guy running the show. You could be the CEO. You could be the one, mm-hmm. you know, hiring all these people and growing all of these, uh, these lives. And it got to a point where they had this um, opportunity for advancement, and everyone in the company, there's over 100 people on the sales floor. And I was number one mm-hmm. 10 months in a row, and everyone in the company was like, duh, it's going to be Manny, hello, no-brainer. That's every, you know, he's mm-hmm. only done everything they've told him to do, and then some. Um, and it comes to the position, and they did this big old announcement after lunch, and they got everyone in the company together, and they go, here's the, we couldn't decide on, you know, one person to promote, so we promote two people. And then it was two people that were guys I'd hang out with them on the weekends. And that was my first dose of corporate, you know, politics. And at that point, I lost all of the motivation to kind of work for that company and build that dream. And so I decided I was going to build my own dream. And I left Mm -hmm. that company just after two years of being there. And for me, it it was crazy because my wife at the time, she was, pregnant with our second son, six months pregnant, and I had said, you know what, I'm not going to build your dream anymore, I'm going to build my own. And I left that company, and everything crashed around me, though. I mean, I literally was homeless within six months of that, um, because I I never ran a company before, and I just didn't know what I was going to do, and didn't have an exit plan. I was the type to jump off the cliff and build my parachute on the way down, and uh, I didn't build it fast enough. And we depleted savings and everything. And to me, I looked at all that, and I was like, man, this is a destruction. Oh, this is terrible. Why did this happen to me? Oh, my gosh, what was I thinking? Oh, my, you know, and ended up just looking at life and just like, wow, it was just so bad. But remembering that I am too blessed to be stressed, I kept looking at it. What am I going to learn from this? What did I do here? Why am I doing this? And within two months of leaving, I I did a kind of a check back of the company down the road. Within two months of me leaving there, that company ended up getting shut down. Um, They were doing some illegal stuff with a law firm that I didn't really use any business with. And they ended up getting their company shut down. People lost their commissions. And it was just like one day they woke up and they didn't have a paycheck anymore. So, you know, I luckily got out of there way early before all of that went down and it was going to be a very big mess if I would have stayed and that would have happened. It would have been a lot worse than I would have, than I'd have had. But, you know, that kind of situation, that kept happening over and over again where I would see a situation in the moment of, man, this is crazy. Why is this happening? And then months or years down the road, I look back and I'm like, wow, that happened because of this. Two months later or a month later or a year later, it would have been a way worse situation if I didn't have that knowledge from that experience. So let's pause here for a moment because this, I think, is a very powerful 
um, a point in your history, which, again, every single one of my guests have had these type situations. This is um, something that we all are faced with, but in the midst of it, it's hard to see the why it's happening to you. And so what I'm hearing you say is that, first of all, you know, you, you saw the writing on the wall. You did everything that they asked you to for 10 months in a row. You're the top salesperson. You're probably doing 80% of the production, I would imagine. You know, there's the, um, the um, Pareto principle where 80% of the production is done by 20% of the people. Sometimes it's less than 10% of the people, but it's usually an 80-20. So you're probably yeah. putting quite a bit of profit in bottom line, and you're the cash cow for that organization. And yet that wasn't um, rewarded. What was rewarded was, you know, the two other guys got the promotion um, because of the schmoozing and the relationship that they had, not by, by their production. But you had, and I like to call this this di- divine intervention, if you will, because that obviously was a slap in the face to you, and everybody in the company who witnessed that recognized that you got slapped in the face when you weren't given that that promotion. But we know that things have a way of working themselves out for the best. That experience did not feel good to you, and you knew that you could take and create that own that same production, the skills and the talent and the gifts that you were giving to that company. Instead of doing it for another CEO, you knew that you could do it for yourself as your own CEO. Is that correct? Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, and then look what it turned out to be. Instead of me, well, you know, fighting my way to build myself to be a manager, I'm now, you know, the CEO and founder of three different companies. Well, and now, but you still, yeah, and, and the thing is that you took that leap of faith. You left, and things got a little bit worse, or a lot worse, because you're, you're expecting your second child, and, you know, you're, you, you become homeless, and you've got to figure out a way to, you know, make a living, take care of your obligations and your responsibilities, and to, and to you know, lead in this place of, of abundance. But in the midst of that, it's hard to see why, the door is being shut. Why you're, you know, um, the, the one of the most delicate things that we possess as humans is not only our heart, but our ego. Our ego is like a sugar cube. You know, it can take a sprinkle here or there, you know, of water. But oftentimes, when you sprinkle, you know, a fire hose of water on it, it can't handle it. It dissolves. It's very painful. And we know that our ego is not our amigo. However, you recognize that you needed to get out of there. You were saving your own self instead of getting in your own way. You saved your own self, got yourself and your family out of there. Had you stayed, you probably would have been tied up with all the legality of what went down, but you didn't know it at the time. Luckily, you followed that thread of inspiration. You left. And so what happened? You know, I can't even begin to imagine the conversations and the emotions flying. You know, you've got a wife expecting your second baby, you know, all the, the – the, you know, there's inherent uh, a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty when you have a second child, even if you've had a first one because you don't know what the dynamics of the second baby is going to. That's enough stress in and of itself. And then to add these other things, you know, um, I can't imagine where you were with that. But what was your, if you had to describe your in, internal fortitude, how would you describe your approach was, as you spoke uh, to your wife and how you, because you shared this experience together. You're both affected by it. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I would say delusional amount of confidence would be the easiest <laughs> way to Delusional. Wow. Yeah, it, that's what it is. I mean, I I am so optimistic in my ability to create success. Um, being, you know, I was introduced to Les Brown through my mentor, uh, not personally, but through his, his work. And um, that's really got me stuck in, in being motivated and understanding that, you know, like Les Brown, he was an orphan himself. He was labeled, you know, mentally challenged growing up. And so to see what he's gone through, very similar with me, to then being able to be so influential to millions of people, it, that's that was so inspiring to me. And that, I would say, is what really got me to fully value what I could bring. And all it was is just, Manny, you have to apply yourself. You have to be that sponge of knowledge if you want to create something that people will will want to invest with you on. Right, so that's kind of the the structure I was instilled with, and bringing that to my family. The, the good thing about my wife is that she's very supportive in what I do, and she's very, um, you know, she I would say has a little bit of that delusional amount of confidence as well. <laughs> I would say it's confidence wow. in um, in the whole situation, but confidence in me to create something, a path through whatever situation we will be going through. And I think that's a strong thing about a a great business is having a great spouse that can see your vision and can see and approve and, you know, be behind that vision with you. And I definitely would not be where I'm at today without her. So that, again, is another key to success right there is, is having a great backing of support Regard if it's your spouse, if it's your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad, you know, a friend, it could be your dog, who knows, right? Whatever way you see your support, use that as your drive of motivation and you can accomplish amazing things. You you'd be surprised at what you can do when you just apply yourself. Yeah, and again, there that's another uh again, I I like to connect the dots and talk about that golden thread of success that I see consistently through a lot of our guests. And so you have that element is in place so oftentimes you know people don't have a supportive spouse and oftentimes their their non-supportive spouse is the thing that's keeping them back is the thing that's you know their energy drain because they're negative they're they're um, not supportive they they don't believe they can do it so why should you be able to do it you know um, and you know Scott Duffy uh, talks about how he has an incredible you know, wife and partner who is all 100%, you know, behind him, sees the same vision. Um, And we also have had, um, you know, as you know, Scott Duffy is the one who did the plane merger with Sir Richard Branson, and that's how Richard Branson started Virgin Atlantic Airways. And we've also had Barnett Bain, you know, who won an Oscar for What Dreams May Come, and he talks about early in his career, he was a confirmed bachelor, and lo and behold, you know, he met his soulmate to whom he is married to this very day. And she is an integral part of his success because they're, they're in integrity. And uh, like I said, as Scott Duffy talks about and Dr. Bruce Lipton and his wife Margaret, same thing. Because now you're of one mind, of one spirit, going in the same direction. You're singing the same tune. You're on the same page of music. So... 
Um, and you have a beautiful uh, wife that belongs, really, in my opinion. She belongs on the cover of Vogue magazine. She's a stunning, beautiful uh, girl, and I would imagine, I've never met her personally, but I would imagine, based on your personality, she has to have, I would imagine, a, a, an incredible personality as well. But I think that's a point that can't be, you know, uh, overlooked because a lot of the success principles talk about, you know, you are the sum total of those whom you surround yourself with. And exactly. we got to face it, our life partner, our spouse, our people who are in our close circle of influence. Definitely. For me, you know, what I've known as well is if you have people surrounding yourself that are negative, a lot of that is mm-hmm. because they're a, their guidance or their, you know, mentality on the subject is more based on opinion than counsel. When you'll notice, like, if you go to your family and you say, hey, I want to write a book, right, and they've never written a book before, a lot of the responses is going to be negative. It's going to be like, oh, wow, that's probably going to take a long time. I don't know if that's, you know, you know or, you know, nobody's buying books anymore. They're going to give you every excuse in a book, uh, in the book, <laughs> how funny, um, to yeah. why you should do it. But yet you go to mm-hmm. someone who's been a best-selling author, you go to someone like Greg Reed, you go to someone like Les mm-hmm. Brown or Sharon Lecter, and you tell them, I mm-hmm. want to write a book, I guarantee you're going to get a totally different response. It's going to be based on counsel and not opinion. And this is something mm-hmm. I learned from Greg Reed as well, is you have to learn from people that have been there. If you're going to people that have never written a book and you're telling them about your dream about writing a book and you wonder why they're not giving you positive responses, well, because they haven't done it, they don't think it could be done because they haven't done it themselves, or, you know, it's just they get in this mentality that it's just too hard. But you have somebody you talk to that who's been there, who's done it, who's had success with it, well, now they're going to show you a roadmap of how to do it, or they're going to give you tips, education, resources on how to do it. Plenty of people that have come to me on some things that I know or I have resources for, I plug them into that resource. You know, I gave a referral today as somebody was asking for opportunities to speak in Egypt and, and uh, Bahrain. And so I connected her with somebody who's right now in Bangladesh on a speaking tour who just last year spoke in Egypt and um, in Cairo and in all these other different places and in Dubai. And that's a great connection. So unless you have connections in those in those areas, it's really hard to get um an understanding of how to do it and to get people behind you. So my always recommendation is find the person who's the top, top person in that industry that you want to be uh, influential in and follow them, learn from them, copy them, make it your own as well, but copy their mindset and their drive and what they kind of focus in on how they bring value because they've done all the research. They've put in the time. They've put in the effort. They've they put the blood, sweat, and tears to understanding how to bring value, and they've been successful at it. Everything now, you've got social media. You've got – everything is so transparent. You can go to anybody and see exactly how they are providing value and be able to learn from them just by following their public marketing. It's pretty cool. What would you say is the most surprising thing that you have discovered on this journey of being successful in business? To give. Um, 
I had a very hard time understanding how to give. I was taught very early that if you have something of value, don't share it. You know, you've got to hold on to it and you've got to, you know, make sure that nobody copies you and da-da-da-da. So it was really hard early on to understand that you've got to just give and then you will receive. And, you know, I've, I've heard that. We've all heard that growing up. But the concept in my business was I first started out, I had no social proof. I had no videos teaching what I was doing. It was just me being like, hey, if you want to learn, you got to, you know, learn from me directly. And I didn't want to give out that information. And after attending this event called CEO Space uh, back in 2012, um, I came across a lot of people, which it was a great event. I actually got to meet Les Brown personally from that event, hung out with his son, and made some great connections, but really understood that these guys were all there to give. They were all there to share. Not one of them asked for a dollar. They were literally just there to share the ideas, how they did it, and give you just simple steps to success. And I learned more and was very um, successful very quickly after that by learning from those types of people. And it was the most successful people that were the most giving. Um, I really learned to understand that. The guys that were struggling in business, they didn't want to share anything. And so once I understood that concept and started to give, I created a YouTube channel, I think 2012, right after that, uh, or maybe right before that, somewhere around that time, and just started creating video after video. Like I have 300-plus videos now on that channel, and all of it is just giving, giving, giving. Everything I can possibly think of of how to teach is in that channel. It's called How To With Manny on YouTube. And all it does is just give. And I've created so much more business by doing that than trying to just hide it all and have them try to come to me to find it. Wow. Yeah, and it's so funny because uh, one of the the secrets to success that, uh, again, it's a common denominator with a, a lot of the folks on, on this show, is that you do have to give first. Or, I mean, I think the very first principle is really recognizing what it is that you exactly want what is it that you want and what is it that you want to achieve? But you do have to lead approaching, you know, the universe, public, and so forth. You have to come in open-handed where your your hand is going out, not to receive something, but to give something and to, to be that source of what, you know, you're wanting to receive something, but you're willing to be the source first and give something first and bless somebody because, one of my mentors taught me that if you give it out in slices, it'll come back to you in loaves. That mean, in other words, loaves of bread. You give out slices of bread, you're going to get loaves of bread back. And you just have to, you're giving not with an expectation that I'm going to give to you a slice and you're going to give me back a loaf. No, you're giving to whoever it is that's before you and God, the universe, will make sure that you get paid back, from diff- usually from a different place. You'll get back loaves and more loaves than you could ever imagine what you could do anything with. Oh yeah. I mean yeah, there's been plenty of times that I've I've given and you know, never looking to be like, oh man, when is this guy gonna be able to return? But I just give, 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 give and give and find out, you know, two years down the road, this person I gave to referred me to one other person there that referred me to another person here and it just it snowballs after a while and it, you know, if you just commit to a life of serving, 
it does come back, you know, and you don't even have So that's kind of the cool thing I like about that is um, is when I started just committing to a life of serving, everything kind of opened up. Opportunities came out of nowhere, um, you know, opportunities to go speak on stages across the U.S., just every you know, doors just open when you just let it flow. Um, so definitely it's it's really valuable to to be of service and find something of value that you could teach others how to do. So um, I, I recently had the wonderful pleasure and fortune to be a guest. You invited me to your Lunch and Learn, and uh, thank you very much for inviting me to that uh, wonderful experience. And I would love for you to share with our listeners on how you've been able to successfully not only father your boys, but mentor your boys to the point where you've motivated, encouraged, and facilitated them at such a young age to already be entrepreneurs. Because your boys, I don't know how old they were, but I know they're under 12 years of age, both of them, who I witnessed with my own two eyes, with their own, they were there helping you at the event. And then, of course, they had a platform where you were able to share, you know, what it is that they do as they're like their own legitimate entrepreneurs. So how have you been able to do that? Well, it's all about leading by example. Um, No matter what you will tell a kid uh, or what you teach them, they're going to look at what you do. Um, So Mm -hmm. if you tell a kid to be an entrepreneur and you're not, more than likely they're not going to become an entrepreneur. They're going to follow the footsteps of what they see, uh, not what they're told. And you have to learn that very on with children that, you know, you have to set the example for them to follow. And that's kind of a big motivation for me when I left that company is I want to build my own dream because I don't want my kids to go through the same things I'm going through as they're not getting opportunities because of whatever reason. The you know, their tie is a different color than their favorite than their boss's favorite color. I don't know. So there's so many different ways and reasons why you could lose opportunities. So for me I thought, well, why not just create your own? And just being of you know, being of unique value to a unique market is how you make your way in this world now. You have to have something that is going to make you stand out. My kids, they would just see me all the time, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a big family guy, so I would bring them to my events. I'd have them um, help me out with booths whenever I have expos and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And they just love the concept of being able to do something you love. And that's what I instill in them. And I and they watch my videos on YouTube, and they're sharing with their friends. And it's so funny. You got my my niece was um was showing her her friends at school. I just found out a couple weeks ago that she's over here like Google my uncle. He's like famous, and uh, they're like putting up my YouTube stuff. It's just so funny. But they're you know at a young age they're learning entrepreneur entrepreneurship, and because they're going to mm-hmm. learn regardless of something, you know whether you put content in front of them that is entrepreneur-wise, or you put content in front of them that's going to teach them how to become employees. Um, And it's all about what kind of content they ingest, what videos are they watching, what books are they reading, what what places are they going to, what are they watching their parents do, Um, how do they interact with each other, are they, you know, being lovable, are they being caring, are they they teaching, are they reading, 
they literally will copy exactly what you do. So I became an entrepreneur. My son wants to become an entrepreneur. So I mm-hmm. have an app. My son wants to have an app. So it's like, you know, whatever yeah. you do as a your kids are going to want to do. So if you want to set them an example to be successful, well, go off and get out of your get off your butt and be successful. It's that simple. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. Do do you would you say? And and I'm curious also if you've taught your kids this as well. Would you say that you have very uh, a very distinct intuitive feeling when you know that something is unique and different, either upon meeting a person or being faced with a particular. Um, situation it definitely is all about their energy it's going to be about how they carry their confidence because that will translate into whatever they are doing if you are not confident in what you do it doesn't matter if you're picking up trash or you're selling tickets uh, through a booth or you're selling cds out of your trunk confidence is a big factor in whether you're going to be successful or not because you have to have confidence in what you sell. You have confidence in yourself's ability. You have to have confidence and trust in, in what you do. And so, you know, for me, when I meet somebody, if they have a high amount of confidence in what they have, that intrigues me. If they don't have a high confidence, that also intrigues me because then there's something that happened in their life that took away that confidence. And once you can find mm. what that is, um, a lot of times there's ways to overcome that just through some basic knowledge. And um, so I like to learn from people, and that's the cool thing about everyone you come across is they're all unique in their own way. They all have their own unique life experience path that they've gone through that's formed them into what they are right now when you met them. Um, and it could be something that happened just that morning, or it could be something that happened when they were four years old. You know, whatever they're carrying with them, it's either helping them or hurting them. And uh, once I come across them, it's it's a really unique thing that I have. I don't know if it's some type of ability or, ability or not, but when they just start talking to me, I can understand how to help them very quickly, whether that's plugging in a resource, sharing them knowledge about some type of topic I've learned about already, or maybe just being there to listen and, and be able to understand them. Um, people just sometimes just need that. You just, you know, you never know what people need. Of, of uh, you deal primarily with um, entrepreneurs and even even folks that are that focus on speaking and are book authors who don't have a traditional type of business. I'm going to they're in my in my mind they're basically they're all business owners. So what is the number one thing that you see missing in most people's business that is a direct result of not bringing them the leads that they want for their business? The biggest thing is not having a mobile strategy. Right now there is 224 million active smartphone users just in the U.S. alone and growing. There's like 2 billion worldwide. Now with mobile, it's just it's like a, a, a necessity at this point. You know, it's not even mm-hmm. something that you should look into. It's something you need to look into. Otherwise your business will not be around in the next 5 to 10 years. If you are not going mobile – um, you're just going to fade away like the phone book. So mobile is the biggest thing I think businesses are missing right now because you've got, you know, the factor of open rates is the biggest um, reason why businesses are failing. 
They have got open rates that are somewhere between a 5 to 10 to 20% open rate, which means businesses are wasting 80 to 90% or more of their efforts when promoting their business via email and social media, which is the primary way businesses are communicating. But that's so oversaturated right now that you're barely getting in their inbox. Imagine if you have a 1,000 people that have said yes to you, that have opted mm-hmm. into you, when you go to communicate with them, only 50 people saw it. I mean, how do you, yeah. how do you think you're going to grow your business, especially when, according to the National Sales Executive Association, 80% of sales are made between the 5th and the 12th contact. If you don't have a way mm-hmm. to reach your market, you are just not being seen, which means your business is going to disappear. It's like putting a billboard out in the middle of the desert and, you know, you've got this one dirt road that leads to your billboard. No one's going to see it. You know, you've got to put it where eyeballs are going, and the eyeballs are now staring at their cell phones. Well, uh, would, you, would you say if someone had uh, the desire to just, you know, we talked about the tenant of giving first, asking second and third receiving earlier in the broadcast. So if you had somebody who just wants to go out there and speak for free to groups of people, is it possible to develop an app that just can target organizations, places where you can go and speak for free so that you can give your gifts for free and at the same time, you know, spread your message, share your talents, et cetera? Definitely. Think of an app like a website on steroids that combines your social media all in one, and you have the ability to text your visitors at a 98% open rate. That's what an app gives you. So regardless of whatever business you're in, if you speak on stage, you can use an app to get people to download your app, to get archives of some of your training, to where you can communicate with them, offer them exclusive content like downloads or giveaways, offer them free tickets to events, a way to book appointments with you, a way to live chat with you, a way to do loyalty programs, purchase your products and services. I mean, the list is endless. We have over 80 different capabilities that we've already created and developed within um, mobile apps that you can now bring to value uh, for your business. So it's more than just, here's a link to my website and here's my phone number. You know, you want to have a way to interact with people, give them content that they're not going to be able to get normally, and make it exclusive so this way there's a reason for them to not only download the app, but keep the app on their phone and share it with all their friends. And that's what I teach consistently um, on a weekly basis, whether it be on stage in front of dozens of entrepreneurs or online using Facebook where I'm going live or maybe on my YouTube channel or we're live in 180 different countries that my uh, video has been watched in. The key is just be able to have something of unique value that you can share with the world, whether it be your knowledge, whether it be your products and services, whether it be your resources. You know, so many people I know can create an app and create a whole business just because of the Rolodex that they have. Isn't that crazy? I mean, just because of the networking events they go to. I was talking to a client of mine yesterday where she just didn't get the concept of what she would want to put into her app as far as content. And she was telling me, it's like, oh, I was at this event here, I was at this event here, I was learning from this guy here. And I'm like, why aren't you just shooting a quick one-minute video after any of these events saying what you learned, putting that as exclusive content in your app, and now you've got tons of resources and education that you could give out 
from people that you learn from. I mean, how many people do you know worldwide aren't going to be getting access to the live events that you're going to with all of these top-level people you're learning from, like Brendan Bouchard and Grant Cardone and Les Brown and Kevin Harrington and people like that? I mean, that's, that's valuable information. So once you understand how you can package that up and share that, now you're really bringing value and getting people to say, I want access to that content. Because that's what it is about today. It's all about information. People want to learn. They want access to stuff quickly and access to it on their mobile device. And that's what an app can bring you. Makes sense. When 99% of us running around have, have got a mobile device in our hand, our little electronic you know, communication device, it makes a lot of sense to create a tool that makes that process easier and more effective than traditional methods of marketing. Oh, definitely. I mean, 87% of smartphone users prefer to do business via a mobile app versus even a mobile website, and that's according to TechCrunch. So it's definitely something that if you want to be relevant and you want to be valuable to your market, you need to have a mobile strategy. And mobile apps is the best way to do that because with a mobile app, by them downloading your app, that is you generating a lead. You now have the ability to communicate with that app user even without ever asking them for their phone number, their name, their email, none of that. They just downloaded your free educational resource app that could be based on anything. could be based on just giving free tips on your industry, giving them all access to everything you're doing online, putting exclusive content like eBooks and, and uh, video coaching series and stuff like that where you're just saying, here's the hub of all of my great content for my business. Check it out. It's completely free. And now you're giving them all the reasons why they should be doing business with you. And once you've hit that 5 to 12 contacts, now you have them primed and ready to take action. Wonderful. Well, we're at the top of the hour. And, Manny, it's been a very exciting hour hearing about your journey and um, what do you have something exciting coming up in the next uh, several months that perhaps our listeners can plug into? Oh, I've got lots of exciting stuff. So um, I've got a book launch coming out called The Hustle Code. Uh, that will be launched probably beginning of May. Uh, we're going to have a big uh, book launch signing party and everything. So uh, I'll definitely throw an invite out there. We'll probably do it in Orange County or L.A., um, I'm also going to be possibly, I haven't confirmed it yet, but I got invited to speak at the UN in uh, New York in June. So um, that that might be something I'll be doing. Uh, they asked me to do a 10-minute uh, speech on, you know, some of the topics that I do for marketing and the things that I'm doing for orphans. Um, and that's something I also want to talk about as well. So, you know, if, you know, orphans is a very big um, part of my life, being an orphan at 18 months and understanding the, the trials and tribulations that most kids go through that don't ever even get adopted. You know, two out of three um, that, you know, go through foster care end up either dead or in jail by 18. Um, they don't graduate college. 95% of them don't graduate college. A, a very high percentage don't even graduate high school. They're four times likely to be abused. 80% of, of, I think it's around 80, 75 to 80% of inmates that are on death row has some history in foster care system. So we have to figure out a way to fix this problem. I mean, look at the, the situation, just basic situation of transferring or transporting your, your stuff. 
let's look at, you know, an orphan, right? They are in foster care, and when they have to be moved to a different home, because they don't get to stay in one home for a long time, they only stay for a certain Mm -hmm. short amount of time, but when they move, all they're given is one black trash bag, a trash bag to put all their stuff in and say, hey, guys, put anything that you can fit in here in this trash bag, and now you're going to move on to your next home. I mean, they can't even give them the decency of giving them a backpack or a duffel bag. I mean, they're treated like, you know, second-class citizens, and yet they're just lost. They have no mentorship, no guidance. So I'm going to be changing that. I've got a lot of things in the works, you know, TV show, a lot of things that I'm going to be focused on where I'm going to be focusing on giving support and resources to kids in foster care, kids that are orphans, and helping them start their own business, helping them find something they love to do, turn that into a business, and my company will sponsor that. And we kind of work like a Tom Shoes sort of way where every new business that works with us that gets an app or some type of branding service that we do, we actually Mm -hmm. will sponsor a foster kid or an orphan to create their own business. So I've got partnerships with people like Olive Crest and Cottonwood.org, which is a church I, I'm a member of, where we're just going to be giving and, and creating tons of resources and workshops and video series and all these things that just get this information and education out about this systematic problem that we have in our society of orphans and foster care children that are lost and, and not being accounted for and not being cared for and it's just it's going to stop and it will end by the time I I finish my time on this earth. Wonderful. Anything I can do to help you? In fact, I know the CEO of ChildNet, which is a $25 million nonprofit organization in Long Beach that operates in five counties and they deal with foster kids throughout the five counties in Southern California. So I think that would be a valuable place for you to connect with and help those kids who from birth to 18 years of age are routinely, you know, dropped off and and abandoned, much like your experience. I believe that you can make a huge difference in the lives of of each one of those kids who are exposed to you. So, Manny, thank you for this incredible hour. Thank you for being on our show, and uh, I honor the work that you're doing. I appreciate your time as well. And always remember that you are too blessed to be stressed, Ilian. Thank you very much, Manny. And there you have it, folks. We are too blessed to be stressed at the Bottom Line Show Live, where we feature the secrets to success, and that's one of the key secrets to success to Manny Lopez. Thank you, Manny. Have a beautiful rest of the week. Bye-bye.